As a business owner of an aquaculture company, how can you take the first step to be profitable and sustainable at the same time? That's what we're going to be talking about in these episodes. Hello, and welcome to the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This is the podcast for the sustainable business movement in the aqua farming and ocean ranching industries. This podcast aims to amplify the voices of entrepreneurs addressing the United Nations Global Goals, aka Sustainable Development Goals, number 14, to conserve and sustainably use the oceans and the seas. Listen in to fellow business aquaculturists in their journey in this new model of food production of making their business sustainable and help the ocean's ecology while also making a profit all at the same time. Get inspired to learn how even small to medium businesses can make an impact to save the seas, leave a legacy, and have a better quality of life. One of our goals is you take away a nugget of wisdom that will help your business move from the industrial revolution to business 5.0. Our vision is that of collaboration in the aquaculture industry. I'm Lourdes Gant, your host. As an aquaculture business, how do you balance taking care of shareholders and the environment at the same time? This episode is dedicated to answering that question. Welcome to Episode 1, Season 6 of the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This episode, I'm delighted to interview the CEO of Rare Foods Australia, Mr. Rob Jordan. Welcome to the show, Rob. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's a delight. It's always been a delight to meet new people through the platform. Rob provides executive leadership to drive operational efficiencies and increase sales margins to underpin a number of exciting growth projects. Rare Foods Australia has ocean-grown abalone is the world's first commercial abalone ranch. Juvenile green lip abalone are reared on artificial reefs known as habitats. The habitats are lowered into the pristine ocean of Flinders Bay in the southwest region of Western Australia, where the ranches are self-sustaining and the abalone nurture and feed from the ocean until they are ready for harvest. This environment results in abalone almost identical to their wild-caught counterparts. Welcome again to the show. Thank you very much. Tell me about Rare Foods Australia operating as a globally unique, highly innovative abalone fishery, but is also into aquaculture. So tell me more about Rare Foods. You probably summed it up in that sentence. Once we got MSC accreditation in June last year, which literally accredits the innovation, the ranch as a wild fishery, suddenly we're not aquaculture anymore. So we are a bit of a dilemma. But the principles of the business were founded on recreating an environmentally friendly, scalable innovation, which is replicating the wild green lip abalone in their natural habitat, which we refer to as the habitat, the artificial reef that was created. And for all the problems, like any innovation, for all the problems this business has, this innovation actually works. And now as I full circle, as I said, as it was accredited as a wild fishery, the difference between us and wild quota now is size distribution. There is no other difference. So when we go to the marketplace, our clientele are looking for two things. They're really looking for continuity of supply or assurance that they're going to get what they want and the fact that it comes from a wild fishery. And that first point sets us against wild quota because we can pretty much tell them what they're going to get and when they can get it and 
for the clientele we're dealing with, that's a big deal. So those two things kind of play into our hands. And as I said, the innovation is quite spectacular, quite frankly. Well, thanks for that, Rob. And just for our listeners' sake, actually, just so you guys know, Rare Foods Australia is listed on the Australian Securities Exchange with the ticker code RFA. That's Romeo Foxtrot Alpha. And one of the things that I love about that is because not a lot of aquaculture companies can qualify to be in the capital markets just because of the nature of industry. So maybe give us a little bit of background for all of us who haven't been to where you're based in Augusta, Western Australia. Can you tell us a bit about what that part of the world is like? Southwest Western Australia is probably the most underdeveloped part of the Western arable land left and underdeveloped in terms of the amount of people who live there. You can still walk along pristine beaches and see no one. And the region does house a number of innovators in food and beverage. We in Augusta are around 20 kilometers south of the world famous Margaret River region from a wine point of view. But there are a number of rare foods in our pristine southwest region. And as I say, it is still one of the world's least densely populated areas. And those who come here very rarely want to leave. Oh, so now I wanted to visit. It's always <laughs> great to hear when I always say that the pristine waters of Canada, but now I can I can say there's pristine waters out there in Western Australia. So thank you for sharing that. So I know the company has a diversification and growth strategy, but before we move on to your current and future plans, can you tell us about the origins of Rare Foods Australia? We were founded by an innovator who who literally saw the need to replenish wild fisheries. And like every innovator, was joined up with a risk taker and spent endless days and hours trying to do this. And then they figured it out and got funded to do so. And the rest is history now. So we take a juvenile greenlip uh, abalone and we put it down at the age of around about 18 months, put it down on the artificial reef and bring it up uh, three years later and literally today replicate the wild greenlip abalone. To put that into context for your viewers, the wild greenlip abalone is akin to, to use a wine analogy, the grange of the abalone range. There's about 180,000 tonnes of abalone consumed each year. Less than 1% of that is greenlip. Half of that greenlip is produced on the land. Half of it comes out of the ocean. The wild quota this year, this financial year, ours goes from July to June, is 320 tonnes. We'll be doing circa 90 tonnes. So we today represent 25% of wild quota. As I said right up front, the difference between us and the wild quota is we're not curtailed by quotas. We can literally keep growing, which we intend to do. And the assurance of supply is what our customers are really after once you unpack a rare food story and the grange of the range. Once they hear our story, all they want is assurance of supply. Our price is not really the conversation that uh, clientele want to be in. So that's our innovation and that's our differentiation. And yeah, we're pretty excited about taking it to the world. Well, I'm really excited what you guys are doing. As you know, if you listen to some of the previous episodes, I always tell about how 
the declining fisheries here in Canada is really sad. And I'm so happy that there are some innovative ways that's coming into the market right now. And especially just you sharing the innovation that you guys are doing at Rare Foods Australia is quite daunting, I think, to be in that goal. But I think a lot more people are being more aware of that. So you call your 413 hectare lease on the ocean floor wild enhanced abalone ranch. What does that actually mean? And how is it different to say an oyster farm? I think the simplest way to think about it is animals in the wild and animals being farmed. It's the same principle. An oyster farm is quite intensive. Our ranch is massive lease. Literally, our artificial reef takes up about 2% of it. And once the abalone are deployed down there, they feed purely and simply on the food source brought in and out on the tidal swells. And so they're literally reared in the wild as they are in the actual wild. The reason for the decline in the fisheries, you know, they can only count the physical abalone. So the scientists tell me when the breeding takes place, the spat, there's a one in a million chance that the spat will actually hit the rock and grow into an abalone. So man was taking that out quicker than that would replenish. And the innovation was really to do that process on land and take the juvenile and replenish the wild. You know, for a lot of reasons, it wasn't actually done in the wild. It was done on an artificial reef, but it is our desire to sustainably and predictably help the wild quota as well. So did the abalone taste the same as the wild ones? Absolutely. Is it better? Because I can tell you, <laughs> in our farm gooey duct, it tastes better because we can pick the quality better than we do ocean run from the wild. Taste is always a choice, but I've got to say, I'm a bit of a novice. I can't taste the difference. <laughs> okay, sounds good. <laughs> so you're now diversifying into another type of abalone. Are you growing that too, or how are you acquiring the product? There's kind of like the Grange of the Range, which is the green lip. There's another a species that's very uh, common in Western Australia called the Rowai. Uh, that's a wild species. For a lot of reasons, the small fishermen lost their marketplace there about 10 years ago. The Rowai, in terms of the way that it looks, competes with a lot of product in China and Korea. And the small fishermen became a bit of a price taker with it. And, you know, the prices got curtailed over the years, as did access to affordable processing facilities. We've built a state-of-the-art processing facility on the Augusta Marina and evolved a very capable sales and marketing function. In collaboration, we got together with them and they asked if we could help market their product on a larger scale. So now we have a tier-based approach. We've got our greens We've also been offered wild greens, and now we've got the rowai. Additionally, where the, the juveniles come from, the farmed green lip, we've also got access to sell that. So we've got a, a tier base of abalone, tier base of the best abalone available in the world that we take to our customers around the world under the heading of Rare Foods Australia, Rare Foods from the premium southwest region here in Western Australia. Wow. I believe that there's a lot of teamwork that made that happen up to this point. So my next question is about numbers. You've achieved your record sales and revenue announcing your quarterly report last month. What are your markets and who are your customers for Abalone? Worldwide, our customer base is in Hong Kong, the UK, the US, Singapore, Thailand, 
Vietnam, Japan, and of course, here at home in Australia. Look, some of those are very key, taking a lot. Some are just evolving, but it's our intention to ensure that we keep the marketplaces across the world open. And what's your marketing strategy to these customers? I have a very different approach based on our species because it's so much um, demand. Sometimes we don't even need to do marketing, but what about for your product? Our sales and marketing team get hit literally daily by what we call wholesale customers. These are customers who are looking for a minimum order quantity of 150, 200 kilos. Lords, you just have to divide 90 tons by that number to realize how many orders we'd have to pick and pack. So our whole strategy is what we call a master distributor strategy. We set up a master distributor in a region. They buy bulk off us at a bulk price. And we refer, respectfully, refer all wholesale inquiries to that master distributor in that region that stimulates their demand and their desire to put larger volumes of forward orders in our forward order book. So master distributors ordering tonnage every quarter office, they book at least a year in advance because we can predictably see our harvests that far out and could probably do it a little further within reason but literally they're booking about a year in advance. That allows us to literally work out how to efficiently run the whole business from deployments and harvest intakes of our ranch or, or the wild origin or the farmed and pick and pack those bulk orders. So the master distributor strategy, we've really been hot on for the last six, nine months. We've already literally booked this year's harvests for our uh, green lip. And we're well down the path of looking at the wild origins that we're bringing in and uh, predictably moving that as well. Yeah. So it's almost the same process as what we have. Isn't that amazing that we have this community of buyers and you call it master distributors. I think that's one of the advantages of being in our industry is being able to partner up with joint venture venturers we're in you have that same goal we're in there's a steady source of supply between producer and supplier so that's good but i've also heard that you're also branching out into ocean cellared wine on your abalone lease how does that fit in your abalone business it's quite <laughs> diversification was the reason that we changed the name to rare foods australia we'd been doing a couple of trials of taking the premium wines of the Margaret River region and selling them on the ocean floor. It's not a gimmick. The constant temperatures we have and the ocean swell matures the wine in a way that man's actually trying to replicate on the land. We did it with bottles to begin with and learned a lot out of that process. The actual biofouling of the bottle made it look like an ocean treasure and uh, had quite a marketing appeal to it. And then through our ventures, we've met a group out of France called Wine Reef, and we're just about to trial their 500-litre drums that get tethered to the ocean floor, and they literally bounce around with the swell. These are pressurised. They need a depth of around about 18 metres, and we're at 20 metres. It's kind of serendipitous. It's almost perfect. And the pressure at that level matures the wine. And we're very excited about the trial to see actually what we do produce. But as they say, the wine industry requires first and foremost a story, 
of which ours is hugely unique, literally bringing together the land and the ocean and price and packaging after that. And we've done a couple of trials, as I said, with the bottles and we deem those trials successful. People say, why? Well, you, you know, A, it tasted great. B, it was in high demand and C, we got a quite a good price for it. So any trial that ticked those three boxes, I think, successful. We've just done our last release to shareholders only at this point. Don't think it's going to be very hard to get rid of that release. And as I say, the trial will start in the early new year. But when we look at growth at Rare Foods Australia, we've got three strengths. Our ocean leases, we've got the only two ocean leases in Western Australia. You can put aquaculture product on the ocean floor, we've got a state-of-the-art processing facility, and we've got a very capable sales and marketing function. So we're always looking to leverage those, hence the addition of the wild Roi abalone, and now the addition of the ocean salad wine. We literally are licensed to do it. If anybody else tries to do it at the moment, last I look, it's akin to dumping at sea. So we do have a first mover advantage in this method, as well as the method itself. I just love it. It's so maverick the way that you guys <laughs> did that. Always like seafood, um, shellfish is always like with wine, right? So it's a perfect combination and talking about diversification. So that's great. So you're also about to open your ocean pantry retail space and cafe. How will it complement your business and marketing strategy? I think you said it yourself. A combination of wine and seafood. Yet, as I said, we reside on the pristine Augusta Harbour. We've built a purpose-built retail facility we refer to as our ocean pantry. And we literally want to showcase these innovations. We want the world to come and uh, experience them for themselves. We've got elements of the artificial reef there, and you can stand up on the harbour itself and you can see the boats out on the reef. We'll, over time, look at ways to bring that back into the retail space itself. We're offering tours of our innovation and, of course, our product, the core products of the business and other aligned products of the premium Southwest region. So, yeah, we're pretty excited. We literally get endless tour buses come past us day in, day out. This wasn't done without a bit of due diligence, but the amount of people we got down there, they basically said to us, we want you to do two things, tours and products, and without even trying we were doing a certain level of revenue around about $10,000 a week without even trying. So now we're putting a bit of effort and a bit of uh, nous behind how to give a good retail experience. Uh, we're looking forward also to the benefits from that from a business point of view. Those are all amazing stories about rare foods. Now, my last question before I let you go and tell our audience what my biggest takeaway from our conversation is, from your profile, you came from a consulting industry from quite like three decades, and then you went to this very specific niche. Was there like a transition of how you did that? Because normally it's the opposite, right? People will gain the industry from a specific niche or a different niche and then go consulting, but you did it the other way around. Is there like a background about that? I did get into primary production back in the late 80s. And the whole concept then was innovating a sustainable environmentally way of rearing free range poultry. And for a lot of reasons that uh, didn't eventuate. And yeah, I ended up in business improvement. Business improvement taught me a lot. I was probably, for the last 10 years, looking to join an owner's team. I was quite agnostic 
with the industry. It was kind of very fortuitous when these paths did cross. I was fascinated, as I've outlined, by the innovation itself. You know, something that's sustainable, environmentally friendly, but also scalable is actually what I believe mankind's actually looking to do all the time. When they get it right, it's amazing. There's a lot of trial and error to get it right. And supporting those in that innovative space is not that common sometimes. As you yourself would know, the innovators who spend hours, days and years trying to figure this out often don't get the credit that they deserve. In this particular case, they have. And yeah, it was very fortuitous that I bumped into this opportunity. The one thing I do know about business is most of it's around people and structure and strategy was probably the first 18 months of my work here. And we've got more than enough capability to deliver our immediate and future growth opportunities to support our core business. So yeah, have been very lucky in that regard. But yeah, it was more luck than judgment that I bumped into it. But it would be fair to say that I was looking for something at the time. Well, I'm so happy that you're in the industry. We certainly need a lot of innovators. And obviously, you mentioned about people, which is, I think, the number one important ingredient being in this industry. So my biggest takeaway from our conversation today is when you were talking about being a first mover advantage. I think there's a lot of benefits and I guess, perks, being an early adapter. And the industry is now gaining transaction all over the world in terms of investment and in terms of, I guess, being spotlighted so that we can feed the 9 billion people on the planet by 2030. So we're really happy that you're in this industry. How can they get in touch with you and your team? Rarefoods.com.au is the website address. And on there, there's all the contact details they need and we'll furnish any inquiry from a, an investor customer point of view. And also, you know, in today's world, we get approached often by those looking for work. We're always looking to invite people down to our local region. Our first priority is always recruiting from within our local region. But for things that have happened recently, you know, our employment is tight. So people get the opportunity to get into Australia reasonably easily these days. And if they're looking for work in our sort of industry, please get in contact. We're, we'd be delighted to have them. We look for overseas divers from a number of regions, of which Canada is one of the five who have direct accreditation that's aligned with ours. So, you know, if your viewers are of that mindset, please, rarefoods.com.au, they'll find us and, yeah, come contact us. We're always uh, looking to talk to those who are interested in our business. And we only have two philosophies at work. We want those who represent us to take accountability for the choices that they make. And we want those who represent us to come in and grow, grow in a way that's meaningful to them. So yeah, by all means. Well, thank you so much, Rob. And to all our listeners, please do subscribe to the podcast and do a review. Do contact rarefoodsaustralia.com.au. It it's like a great place to work with, it sounds like. And especially you get to report directly to Rob, who you already hear today is a very nice person. So go do that. And with that, I will see you next week. Thanks, Rob. Bye Cheers, Lords. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening. And I hope you are inspired from this episode. 
Do take a moment and share this with your friends and colleagues and rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love to know what your biggest takeaway from this conversation has been. What are you going to do differently? Please share your thoughts across social media and tag us. For links and show notes for this episode, visit our website, www.sustainableaquaculture.ca slash podcast. Thank you again. I hope you will join me on the next episode and together we can help create a better business in aquaculture.